0: Hi, and welcome to the Duck Industry Podcast, season number four. The Duck Industry Podcast is a collaboration with the Programmers of Color Collective and What's Up with Dogs. It is funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, the BKM, and MVM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contributions. Hey, and thank you for listening. Enjoy the show.
1: So, hi. Thank you for listening. My name is Karen Chang, the creator and moderator of today's podcast episode. Thank you, Doc Leipzig, for inviting us. And thank you, POC2, for connecting us. So before I start this episode, may I introduce myself and also my guests. I'm Karen, born and raised in Hong Kong and now based in Berlin. Uh, During my stay in Berlin, I organized screenings of Hong Kong movies for the local community, and I'm working in the European Film Academy as head of communication and marketing. So here with me, we have three experienced uh, documentary film directors from Hong Kong whose films have entered various film festivals. First of all, I would like to introduce Candice Liu. Her short film, Comrades, entered Berlinale and Chicago International Film Festival in 2020. Hi, Kenneth. Hi. And then here we have Dr. Anson Heuss and Meg, her uh, feature film uh, Fearless and Dear* premiered in Busan International Film Festival 2020 and Yamagata in 2021 and 2022. And her latest short film, The Black Wall, was premiered and nominated in Taipei Golden Horse Film Festival 2022. Hi, Anson. Nice to have you here. Hello. Thank you. And lastly, we have Chi-Woon Chen, his latest, uh, his debut feature, Yellowing, won Shinsuki Ogawa Prize at Yamagata 2017, and his latest documentary film, Blue Island, won the Best International Documentary at Hot Dogs Canadian International Documentary Film Festival in 2022. Hi, Chi-Woon. Hello. So uh, recently there is a news that caught my attention, which is um, the 17th Fresh Wave International Short Film Festival in Hong Kong informed the audience that parts of the contents of several short films were decreed by the Office for Film, Newspaper, and Article administrations to be deleted. But those affected filmmakers had chosen to replace the deleted parts with black images and muted sound. Actually, this is not the first to have the films get censored in Hong Kong since the national security law implemented in July 2020, after the massive social movement in Hong Kong uh, in 2019. Could you share your experience with us uh, how it was before the national security law, and maybe you can also tell us a bit the difference after the law? Anson, do you have
0: any clue i um actually started making video art and documentary in very like in the early nineties and it was uh like the short uh, documentaries about um especially about the, uh, Iraq right before the handover, and then there's a lot of street action and things like that. And then also the like shorts and in the 20s, uh, 2000s, and then 2010s. But before the national security law, basically, like, everything is fine. Everything is, like, I... Um, all of my work uh, regarding the more like RC ones, more personal uh, essay films types, or more political ones about strict actions, um, they could sh- be shown. They could be shown in anywhere. Um, especially uh, some of the works are not on cinema, but also on gallery uh, exhibition space. Um, the exhibition space are even more like um, having more like. Broad sense of freedom because they don't need a uh, kind of teller license. So it was basically very, very much um, whatever we could do that we could do.
1: <laughs> do you have any experience on that? Because uh-huh. your film work about the social movement in twenty seventeen and twenty twenty uh, from Yellowing and Blue Island.
2: Yeah, and I also has uh, have a short film also show in the festival that Karen mentioned, the Flash rate International Short Film Festival in 2014, right before the Umbrella Movement. So I at that time, it is, it is a 26-minute short film about the protests and the civil society in Hong Kong. And it is a fictional film. And at that time, it is very easy to pass the... The censorship and show in mainstream cinema and i remember two years ago after the national security law uh, there's an organization they want to screen the film again so they have to send the films to censorship office again and Someone give a call to the organization and say that okay, uh, it takes it will take a long time to process your film to get the approval to screen. So maybe it will, uh, um, yeah, uh, you you won't have the approval uh, when you uh, at the days that you want to screen the film. So so it is it becomes so different before the National Security Law and after the National Security Law, and. And my first feature documentary is about the uh, Umbrella Movement. I follow a few young protagonists. And at that time, the film was distributed by a Hong Kong independent organization called Ying Yi Qi. So that, uh, it is the place that we, I, I meet Karen. And uh, we can't get, the film can't get into the mainstream cinema. But anyway, we do a lot of uh, independent screening in Hong Kong. But my experience of Blue Island, my second feature documentary, is totally different because it is after the uh, national security law. And before I expect this film can show in Hong Kong, but now it becomes really difficult. So Blue Island cannot show in Hong Kong and only can screening outside Hong Kong. So this is my experience after the uh, uh, national security law.
0: Yeah, because just um, you mentioned about the um, the same film, but before and after. So actually, the, the um, I did have a a feature film called One uh, One Way Street on the Turntable, which is which was made back in two thousand seven. So it's really like eighteen years ago. Um, of course, at that time, it could be shown. It was premiered in the international Hong Kong International Film Festival, so it, it could be shown in Hong Kong. And then, just two months ago, there was a Cinex has an educational program which is about experimental documentaries. So they invited this film to be, you know, on the program. And then they sent the film to for a license, uh, because there was one scene um, that was uh, with a caption saying um, someone experiencing tear gas. But that was the tear gas back in WTO, so it was like two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, and they, in the beginning, they rejected the film. They, they um, I mean, they, um, they didn't give the permission because of that scene, and they said that I should take away that scene. <laughs> but then we did actually explain later on that it was not the tear gas like three, four years ago, but it was like 18 years ago. Um, but they kept on, they just say, oh, then they will, like, reconsider, but they kept on dragging the time, and we changed the programme to a short films programme, which are my, like, more experimental, uh, more personal shots and experimental films, which are the program original was about. But, um, yeah, but then the same film (laughs) before, it's really easy to, it was fairly easy to be shown. And then this one, because just a kind of captioned with a um, saying, it's basically an interview about someone experienced, I guess. It's something that is very personal for her. But then they... Because of just tear gas, and they um, rejected the permission. But after I think after three or four weeks uh, time after the program, and they eventually they um, gave the permission. But it was like way back after the program, so that was my experience.
1: Thank you. Um, How about cameras? Because your film comrades enter Berlinale. Have you actually planned? To show that film in Hong Kong,
3: we shown uh, I showed the uh, uh, Conray in Hong Kong in 2020, uh, which was the uh, Hong Kong Independent Film Festival, which organized by Ying Yi Chi, and but we didn't have too much plan when we make uh, this film, but instead of talking, I would like to talk about the. Uh, Filming during the protests before and after the national security law. Because I started filming uh, social movements since uh, uh, 2014, which was the uh, Umbrella Movement or Umbrella Revolution. Um, we filmed a group of van drivers uh, during that time. And they welcome us to film them. They have, seems they have no fear to be filmed. But I think the situation changed uh, in 2019, which was the uh, the anti-extraditional uh, extradition anti-extradition law uh, uh, the protest because I think in that period of time filming in the protest is not that easy comparing with 2014 because uh, uh the protesters are always wear, wear wearing masks and sometimes it was gas mask. So um, I think for a documentary filmmakers, uh, filming the facial expression is quite important to to let the audience know the feelings of the protagonist. But since they are masked, so I have to think another way to film. So I brought a better mind to record the voices so the audience can uh could know their tone, their voice tone, and their feelings when they are talking, and also um I try to film their what they are, they were doing, and to to see what they are to to try to show what they are thinking about or what they care about. But uh after the national security law. You know, I think it's become more and more difficult to film, to get near to the protester because they are quite afraid of uh, being caught uh, by the police because uh, they don't know what will happen in the police station and also they afraid that uh, it will become some kind of evidence uh, in the court uh, because they don't know uh, who I am, uh, who I was, uh, so. Uh I changed my approach. I talked to them for a while to let them know who uh, what kind of person that I am. Sometimes it will success that they let me to film them, but sometimes I failed and it's all right. I understand about it, so I find and other people to to talk about uh, to talk and to try to film. And also, because my approach was, uh, the protest was happened every weekend during uh, 2019. I I make film, I I filmed the protest during the weekend and then I make the film in the weekdays and then I put uh, my rough guard online to to let the people know what's happening in this week. But after the uh, National Security law, I self-censored myself. I think that, if I put this kind of action online, will the protesters suffered or being caught? So I did quite a lot of this kind of thinking, which was not about filmmaking but self censorship. So after that, I decided not to put this online in in my platform, but I sell it to to Taiwan television state uh, television stations. That um, they agree that they just shown on the TV once, and then they will not put online, and that and also to let the Taiwan audience know what's happening in Hong Kong, because many Taiwanese wants to know about Hong Kong as well. How
1: about Chi Woon? Um, because your film is also about protests.
2: I think I can conclude some some policy that uh, uh, after National Security Law that affect documentary filmmakers in Hong Kong. The first thing is that uh, I think all of us mentioned is that uh, they revised the film censorship policy in 2021. Because before 2021, uh, film censorship policy is just a classification system. like, um, is it uh, suitable for children? Or it did have filing content, something like this. But after 2021, I think it's in October and they put in some guidelines that you have to censor some things that give danger to the national security. So it makes the film censorship become very strict so that if you uh, uh, give your films to film censorship uh, office, and they will they will try to edit your film, something like this. And then I think the second thing is that before 2019 protests, in that de- decade, there's so many people working on independent documentary because you can see the the tolerating situation in Hong Kong and we find that documentary are uh, so important at that moment of Hong Kong but um, and also there are so many organizations like um, Ying Yi Chi as I mentioned Visible Record who organized a lot of educational program and also international documentary film festival in Hong Kong and they are, they didn't get any funding anymore after 2019 and most of them didn't Uh, didn't work on documentary anymore and so it it become very difficult because uh, my experience in blue island is that it started in 2017 so i still got some chance that i can get funding from local there's some like art organization uh, documentary theory funding so i can get around 20 percent of the budgets from local but now almost all the funding are didn't exist anymore the third thing is cloud funding because i also have uh, the experience in crowdfunding. funding about 30 percent of the budget of my film brook island is from cloud funding and at that time it's right before the national security law and uh, but now i think they are trying to uh, pass a policy new new law to try to restrict the uh, uh, crowdfunding it will make documentary film uh, more difficult or other part of the maybe journalists, more diffi- independent journalists, more difficult to get funding from the crowd and yeah I think let me think. yeah I think it's almost uh, I try to conclude some things that really affect me. but there is one thing that mentioned but by Canis is that because national low security law create the fear inside Hong Kong. As a documentary filmmaker, you, you really want to interview people, asking people to talk about their experience. And under national security law, it is very difficult to find people uh, willing to to tell, tell what's happening, what they experience in front of the camera. So it is all things that, difficulties that uh, after 2019, uh, what, what a documentary filmmaker in Hong Kong faces
0: yeah echo to um what i've just said um about like self censorship and um the difficulties to to find subjects um i actually have a uh, I have a very um is 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 sad but it's also a meaningful uh relations with the subjects that is for the fearless India which is made in two thousand nineteen to two thousand twenty it was um, it was premiered in 2020. It was a film about, like, parents. Um, how how did they feel about, like, having kids and then experience the movement? Um, because that was the time uh, that the national security law just passed. And then before they we knew the uh, the tele- uh sense uh, the... Tele license regulation, so I could get a license, and I, the film could be on cinema for like three months' time, but then along the uh along the time the film was shown, I kept on discuss with the subjects because they 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 have their real names they have their real faces, so it's not like um they they are unknown, but they are they yeah they bear their real names and faces, so we kept on talking with the uh, is there something that they 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 worry about, but like after three months' time the this this that's at a point that a subject felt that it's really uh risky, and then she didn't really want the film to be shown again um so I stopped all those uh, public screenings in Hong Kong afterwards, so like it was really. Uh, somehow it's self censoring in a way but it's also a continuous uh, conversation with the subjects which are uh, basically they are at risk because you know they are their faces shown their names around um so that was um that was a meaning in to me it's a very meaningful uh, way to um like keep on basically I kept on um discussing with them like every Two weeks or three weeks time, because the the film was going was was showing continuously on on screen, and then the situation in Hong Kong kept on going down. <laughs> so that was a uh, that was my experience. And uh, one more film about um, June 12th, that is the uh, on the edge of Rolling city. We sing. There's a part about June 12th movement. And there's a year annual event in, um, on the 3rd of June every night, and they had like concerts or poetry reading and things like that. So they have been doing it for many years without permission. So I, the film was made in 2011, 2012. Uh, but actually, like last year, there was it was a museum collection, so they, they they wanted to show it again. But then I had to again talk to the subjects and ask them, you know, whether they it's fine for them to to show, them, because it was like a quote unquote illegal event, but it has been allowed for so many years. Um, but then at the end, to kind of protect them. And then also some of them were not willing to be on the, uh, you know, that they, they were not willing to let the film shown again. So I basically rejected the the requests of the museum, and they also understand. So we we didn't really show it in the end. So again, somehow you can say self censorship, but it's also a kind of continued uh, discussion with the subject, even like. Ten years ago, I hope the film was made like ten years ago.
3: Yeah, I think the national security law was quite uh, is quite ambiguous that uh, the the filmmakers or everyone don't know where is the red line, which we can do or what we cannot do in this law. So for me, I have to self censoring myself, and also I think. Um in in recent uh in this uh few weeks uh the Hong Kong government tried to ban a song which is called uh Glory to Hong Kong uh in the online platform and it put into the local procedure and tried to have some court hearing for this song. Um this song is uh, sent by the, the Protester during two thousand and nineteen, which was quite popular, but the government said it was uh, it is against the uh, national security law, uh, which is quite sad news for me because um, uh, I have five I I had five documentary online uh, during two thousand and nineteen, and in this this few years I have to take out. One by one from the online my online platform, and one of the film is called not one not one Mess, has this song included in the film, so I'm not afraid by myself. But there are some phases um of the people singing these songs and in the film, so I have no choice but I have to remove it um from the online platform, and there was there is only two films in my own platform in, at the moment. Um, one was also removed because there was a uh, national uh, anthem law passed uh, in, I think, in 2020, and which we say that if you sing the national anthem, which is was the Chinese government national anthem, not very respectfully, so will you, you, will against, uh, you will be against the law. So I have to remove that film as well because I don't know the right line, whether the the action or the behaviour of the protester is respectful, respectful or not. So I have to, no choice, and remove that again.
1: Thank you. So actually we talked about self-censorship and also the concerns of the subject. I assume or after hearing all this, I think it's actually quite frustrated when you want to make a documentary. And my question will be, then what keeps you making documentary now? Or are you having a rest now um, or trying to process what is happening right now? Could you share some experience with us, like Chi I
2: I'm thinking because of the the tolerating situation in hong kong and it makes documentary more important to i I don't know it is important to tell hong kong story from from uh, uh, from us and also uh, you you know that you can't see the real hong kong in the mainstream cinema anymore so i'm thinking about after 20 years 30 years when we look back in today's hong kong you can find the what what actually happened in Hong Kong from the independent cinema or independent documentary? So I think it is the worst time of making film in Hong Kong, but also is the most important times for 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 us to make documentary. And also, it do change my uh, creative process in in working on documentary. The first thing is that I uh, I cannot get any funding in local. Uh, funding anymore so i try to explore more outside hong kong and participate in many forums and pitchings, and then trying to get enough support from outside and then i can still stay in hong kong to make documentary and then the second thing is that um, before i i will think that the limitation and restriction is something that i have to escape like i try to do not talk about something in order I can pass the censorship, pull pass the censorship and get the permissions to show the film. But now I, I, I find that okay it, I no longer um expect my film to show in Hong Kong. So I can be more more I, 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 I can I can be I, I can be directly face those limitations. Like I, I will think that the law or the limitation, the restrictions are all become the material, become the footage that I can tell in my film. And also under the national security no we have so many like very complex emotions in Hong Kong because we find that the Hong Kong is not familiar to us anymore. It changed quite a lot. And then we will fear, we have guilt feelings to the people are uh, in prison now. We and also we are thinking about should we leave Hong Kong or stay in Hong Kong. It's very complicate emotions I think if we can show this kind of atmosphere and emotion in our film it is important so I what I think is that in I trying to see limitation and restrictions not a limitation but become the materials of my film so this is how I change and I, I, I think about uh, 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 what I should do and I can do after the security law
1: how about Anson, because you have so many years making documentary and this change how how does it really affect you or do you still make documentary films after
0: Yes actually after the um uh, after the uh after Fearless there, uh I was thinking oh then what should I do <laughs> Uh, but at that time, was I was still um, I was still teaching in university, so I could get funding from university. Um, and then I thought of a way that is, I do web-based documentary, which I could, I don't have to deal with, the film. Uh, I mean, the the film license. I don't have to like apply for anything. So after feeling there, I did a, a project about mindfulness and. Um, Artists who practices mindfulness, and so it was a web based, uh, with documentary with eight uh, subjects, uh, and they talked about the way they deal with difficulties with mindful practices. So uh, somehow I was like trying to find this kind of indirect way <laughs> to talk about the um the social political situation that is that. Everyone has their own personal spiritual practice, but then they face the same difficulties in Hong Kong. But in terms of in terms of um, in terms of the uh, film um, kind of film license issue, then I deliberately um, try to do web based work. Then I don't have to get any license that everyone can get access, but provided that I could get funding. Which is which is difficult because like for 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 film funds and festivals, that usually you need to show it on cinema, and you need, you can also get income from the tickets. But for web based work, it's totally free. So as as unless you've got <laughs> enough um, funding for it. So that's uh, because I don't I don't like teach in university anymore. So that was my, my difficulty to go on. So now I'm I'm trying to get fundings from different places. But um but I do find web based documentary a very, very good thing. That um of course we, we had to discuss with the subjects and what's on and what's not on and they they could they would also they may also talk about it, the the experience they had in the movement and but um but that was just the communication. Uh, with the subjects and about, like, what should be on. But in the end, you don't need a film licence. It's on the website and everyone can see it. So, yeah, but for me, the other thing is now without my, the, the, the funding from universities, and that, then it may be difficult to do web-based projects.
1: How about Canvas? Do you have something that you could share with us?
0: I was quite
3: depressed after this national security law because when i doing the when i was doing the editing i found myself was self censoring and then i i think i thought that why i have to do this my original purpose of making a documentary is that show what what i feel or show what i thought but I'm not here to do self-censorship or censorship for a film. So I was quite depressed for a few years. And I I can't I couldn't make a documentary or make a film or talk about my feelings for that few years. And and also I moved to the UK and sometimes I will feel guilty and and think, why should I be here? Or um, there are still a lot of documentary filmmakers in Hong Kong. For example, Chiun is still in Hong Kong, based in Hong Kong, and making his documentary. And I feel that I should stay in Hong Kong and make my documentary in Hong Kong, but I moved to the UK. But I think I'm better in this year because I'm I'm working with a uh, Shou Shou-san's... Uh, uh, professor in in, in in the UK and we worked together for a um, Hong Konger's project which described the feelings of Hong Konger who moved to the UK. Um, so I think I can start to learn something new uh, from this professor and maybe I have some new insights or uh, to or record some diaspora uh, feelings in the Hong Kong community in the UK so I'm learning something new at the moment yeah
1: so can I conclude that uh, you are trying to I mean you three all are trying to make movie of Hong Kong but you don't care about the I mean, like Chi-Wen, you said you're trying to get funding from outside. And then Anson, you said you're trying to uh, uh, put your works online. And then Kenneth is trying to uh, find your subjects in the UK. So could I say this? You're trying to make the films of Hong Kong, but from different perspective, And then the limitation that the governments give you, is there we can see it but it's not that kind of an important role um because i mean of course that you can't get the funding like anton you said or what you when you said but then uh is not what's stopping you from doc- making documentary can i say it this way the
3: the laws still play a very important role in f- to affect me making documentary because when i have my protagonist in the UK, the protagonist have to think an other name instead of their real name to show on in the documentary because they, maybe they have still have families in the in Hong Kong, or they may have to visit Hong Kong again to see their family so they have to go back to Hong Kong. So they will still feel scared to show in the film. Sometimes they or they just want to show uh, thems, thems, uh, themselves only, but not their, uh, tell us that not to film their family. So I think this kind of fear still exists in the UK. And, and also it affects me to make the documentary.
2: Yeah, I can say something, because um, I'm still trying to base in Hong Kong as long as I can, as long as I feel that I don't have danger so because i really want to stay there as my hometown and i'm thinking maybe if i stay there i can feel more about the people about the atmosphere and it is important for for my type of documentary but there's some question that we have to keep thinking about keep evaluating about okay is it danger if i stay in hong kong and keep making film and then the second thing is I have to think about how to sustain myself because I never can sustain myself by using like making documentary. So I have to find some other ways. And uh, yeah, it's not easy like teaching or making other kind of videos to sustain your life. At the same time, your film. You have to try to explore about the outside support. And it makes very yeah, it's difficult, but uh, I think it's it's, it's trying it is the experience of Blue Island, my my second feature, can help a little bit, especially for um the outside funding because we get some uh like uh funding from documentary film festival and some. Uh, uh co-produced with other Japan and other countries so it helped a little bit. Even the experience of crowdfunding, experience of uh the local funding cannot is no no longer uh there anymore. And I think the third thing th- third thing is that also mentioned by Anson is that um the audience the audience because somehow my film i do expect the film can show to the international audience but one of the main audience target for me is the local and hong kong audience but uh if it no longer can show in hong kong it make me quite depressed because i make the film for five years and there are so many like joke or informations that only hong kong people can feel it and when it can't show in hong kong i feel quite depressed at that time i i I listened to some hong kong pop music i found that wow hong kong pop music is really really good medium because um, they have something related to protest in the lyrics but it apparently like a love song and it can through radio you can show it to you can show it to the uh, prisoner in Hong Kong And also you can show it to uh, People outside Hong Kong and I found that the, the it is quite powerful That okay you if you have music You can sh- like, uh, 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 Let so many people To listen of it But for documentary Seems as so many limitations And so I'm still uh, uh, At that time I'm quite Depressing but after it premiered In Hot Dogs And then we do a lot of screening outside hong kong i find that there's so many hong kong diaspora and then when they actually in this moment of hong kong we had fear about you know talking uh, discussing about hong kong publicly but because there is a, is a film people gather together in a cinema and then they started to talk about and discuss about hong kong after the film then i found it okay maybe this is something that a documentary or a film can do after the national security law even it cannot show in hong kong and also i agree with anson that we are trying to find some other ways that can show to more people because there is um, actually you can put in on internet you can sell to a streaming platform or some other ways there's always way that you can show to people so yeah i think i i still believe in the power of documentary that in also i think i found it's very important to make documentary in hong kong now
0: yeah i totally agree um and so i was still thinking about like what to do and web-based documentary is for me is still the way but again it's a funding issue and that's some other topics that takes like another hour or so but but I think like the, the the web-based documentary. There are, of course, it can like uh, basically everyone can see it. But because of this nature, it's also difficult in another sense. That is, the um, the subjects uh, will be like, more careful about what they talked about because they they know that it will be seen by everyone. So the the Mindfulness project that I did and the experience is that uh, the subject also somehow, I mean, like we, of course, that we have to be very aware of the of what can be shown, but the subjects, I mean, the, the one being interviewed, they were actually also very aware of what to be shown. So sometimes that we would discuss uh, before the interview, and then, but I mean, like, we we... we I always, like, it's it's interesting that um, I would just trust them because they will find a way to talk about the difficulties and the political situation in an indirect way. (laughs) So they, you know, they know what to say. Um, Of course, during the editing process, that we had to be very careful. So for me, I will... So every step of the editing that I would discuss with them and they would see the film before they would see the final version before it's being shown and that's really important but uh, somehow they will find a way to talk about things but again for me the main thing is how to get funding for web based project
1: i actually want to ask one question because you just mentioned that you would discuss with your subjects before interviewing them So some, uh, like uh mentioned it before, documentary is about showing the authenticity of that moment, the expression of that interviewees. So the pre-discussion you already had before filming, do you think is not really showing the real moments of that or is another
0: way around? The pre-discussions actually is I think there's several things. Like first is the you know, this the basic things, like explaining the the consent and um I think it has to be very clear, especially for now. The other thing is that uh I would talk about um like I would discuss with them like what did they want to say and then um I will also tell them that you can actually say whatever, but we, when we are when we are doing the editing, and they can choose what to put in. So the pre-discussion is not like oh we should not talk about something, <laughs> but it's it's more like a communication for them to trust us. I think this is really important. I mean, that's that's there's, uh, there's very difficult for for people to trust documentary filmmakers, <laughs> in a way, and also about you know the film the censorship. So, I mean, the national security law that, that they may feel, oh, I don't want to be in the documentary. So this, this actually takes a lot of discussion. I mean, the pre-discussion is more communication that they will trust us. And, yeah, and, of course, we will talk about uh, the uh, that um, they should protect themselves if they find something that they cannot talk then please don't talk about it so somehow it's it's not it's not really not authentic but it's something that necessary yeah to me is is something like that but but in a way uh, the whole process of documentary making is the continuous communication with the subjects during the in the, in the editing process especially So, and then again, I will show the the, the final draft. And then if there's something that they don't want to show, then I will take them away. And and unless they are fine with the final version, then I will make it public. So that's that's the kind of pre-discussion, quote unquote pre-discussion.
1: And another question that comes to my mind, uh, which is, so this kind of pre-discussion and also post-discussion, the communication you just said with the subjects, does it actually change the dynamics between the director and the subjects a lot? Or actually, it has to be like this from the very beginning. I mean, also before the national security law, because we often think that there is kind of power dynamics between directors and the subjects so
0: yeah could you could you explain a little bit more yeah i think since fearless and tear uh then it's um the way that i make documentary is is different in a way that i uh, Basically, it's a continuous communication, like from before the shoot and the shooting and the editing. And then even like after the film was shown. (laughs) So it's like it's it's a really long process of, of, of continuous communication. And especially Felix and Diaz because it was made in the movement it was shown right after the National Security Law, though <laughs> before the uh, the before the the of the, the of film censorship. So it's it's really a long process. But before that, uh, say for example, the uh, on the, on the street uh, on the edge of the folding city, we sing. Um, basically, I just get the subjects and then let them know the consent. But I didn't really think that much about like, oh, should I keep on talking with them when it's shown? So it's, it's, it was not necessary really because, you know, the film can be shown and the uh, it's like back in 2012 and people feel at ease like looking at a film about June 4th and it's no problem at all. Uh, but after the Fearless Center and then the Mindfulness Project and I was really I I was really really careful, and I I think it's necessary because they again they they have they bear their real names and they have their real face, so it's 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 very different actually than the than um, when I was make like on the edge of folding city we sing, and again it was a. It's planned to be shown again in two thousand, maybe at the end of two thousand twenty-one, but then I had to talk to the subjects again because of the new law, Um, and then we decided not to show. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the difference between, uh, I mean, like before and after.
1: You and Canis, do you have any insights that you want to share?
2: For me, actually, that. The, the difficult situation like uh, we cannot tell directly in front of the camera what's happening under the national security law and there's also other problem like if I want to make a film about a protagonist that is prison now that like, we can't interview him or her so somehow th- there's so many this kind of situation it is possible to make a documentary that the your protagonist never never uh, uh exist in front of your ca- in front of your camera so i i would try to explore more in the like creative treatments if it possible or how can i use other way to present the ideas or present this person or yeah I, i'm thinking about uh, maybe uh, those limitations uh, what i said before is that this limitation like um Prisoner or diaspora that uh, uh uh or fear in front of the camera can it be I uh, can use some other way like creative treatments or form to 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 present in front of the camera yeah, let the audience understand it and I can still make my documentary so so this is my direction is trying to use more think about explore more about the creative treatment
3: I think as a documentary filmmakers before we make a film then we should talk with the protagonists that uh what we want to make uh about this film. For example, in twenty fourteen in the Umbrella Revolutions and then I found a group of fan drivers and then I talked to them I want to film to uh in uh about the uh, your situation in the uh, in the uh, protest, uh, for example, how you deliver the materials, uh, these kind of things, or how do you contribute in in the protest? Then I will tell them about this. But just this, and during the process of filmmaking, they will tell me more about what they are doing, and then I will think that oh yeah, thank you, thank you for letting me know that. I seldom tell them what I want to film that because I don't want to interfere invent them uh, what they will do. But in twenty nineteen, uh, the anti extradition law law protests. Uh, I think I skip the process of uh, building relationship at the beginning because I film the one who is uh, just uh, the group of protesters, a protester in 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 the street, or they're all masked. Their uh, uh, their identity uh, is not shown. That so I can. I do not have to build far uh, so I do not have put to have to put mo- too much effort in uh, building relationship but after the security uh, national security law expo- uh, maybe in the UK uh, I think I have to doubt them what I or or we are going to do what are uh, we focus about so that they they can trust us that that we will not affect their relationship with the Hong Kong families or or their families in Hong Kong. Or they they may think that, okay, maybe I can still go back to Hong Kong, then this documentary will will not talk about this this, this kind of thing that uh, make me feel dangerous or make me feel not safe. So... I think in this situation, some things must have to make it clear. They told me that they want to watch the documentary before it, went, uh, it goes to screening, um, so that they will know uh, what they were shown, what, which aspect or which faces they were shown in the cinema. They will have this kind of thought and fears.
1: Thank you for the very interesting discussion. And I believe that the audience will know more about uh, documentary filmmaking in, in Hong Kong nowadays. So to end this episode, I would actually like to ask you all, could you conclude or just say in one sentence, what is the spirit of documentary to you, for you in this time?
2: I don't know. I, I, I see documentary filmmaking as an adventure. So during the adventure, you will with your producer, your f- creative crew, or also with your protagonist. and there are so many difficulty in between the journey. So I I will see. I I don't know if I answer the question, but I see documentary filmmaker is a, a documentary filmmaking is a an adventure for me.
0: Yeah, it's also it's very difficult to say, uh, one in one sentence or two. But um, but I hope. Actually, I, I, um, I, I, in a way, I just hope that we can go on to making documentaries, and then people can go on see documentaries about Hong Kong. It's actually something that simple. So let's hope that people go on supporting Hong Kong documentaries. I
3: would say that it seems there is a very huge mountain blocking the road in front of. Documentary filmmakers, so I think documentary filmmakers in Hong Kong is finding a way to pass the mountain or find another way to 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 move on, or they have to we have to climb up the mountain to to go through it. So I think it's a very difficult moment. Yeah, in that in that moment at the moment.
1: Thank you for your insight and interesting discussion and thank you the audience for listening to this episode. To end this episode I would like to wish all the documentary filmmakers who are facing limitations and restrictions from whatever reasons to overcome this huge mountain and go on an interesting adventure. Thank you again and bye.